You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Good morning. My name is Ryan. I am one of our pastors here at our downtown church, uh, helping to oversee our care and uh, as well as our recovery ministry. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, Going to be landing the plane, as, as Tim would say, on our Worthy series. Thank you. Uh, on our Worthy series. So I've been tasked in leading us this morning uh, to consider God's sovereignty as we, as we look more uh, into why God is worthy of our lives, worthy of our worship, worthy of, of all that we are. So uh, I also recognize that I don't believe this task was given to me randomly. I have a bit of reputation amongst our offices as well as uh, amongst church family about being the guy who uh, is going to bring up God's sovereignty uh, in conversation. I take that as a high compliment and I say thank you for that reputation. I think that's a great reputation to have. <laughs> Um, part, of, part of the reason why I uh, have an affinity and affection for God's sovereignty, um, honestly, is really the fact that there are still many days that uh, I can't believe I'm a Christian, right? Uh, I'm not saying that I'm doing this job reluctantly. I'm not saying that I'm up here reluctantly. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, but my story doesn't include growing up in a household where belonging to a church family was a priority. So in fact, before my friend Matt invited me to church with him uh, and kept inviting me and kept inviting me and kept inviting me, um, I've probably been to two or three church, Sunday church gatherings in my entire life, throw in a wedding, a funeral, and some, you know, I think I went to a Halloween party at a church one time when I was six, which is kind of funny because it's like, huh, it's a progressive church, say the, say the least. Uh, but... Before I turned 16, I think I'd been in a church building maybe 10 times. Uh, so I don't think that I'd attend, uh, attended much more than that. And honestly, I was okay with that. Uh, I saw myself as a good person, uh, like, like most non-Christians do, right? Like we, I felt like I had my life pretty much under control. I never really saw the need for religion. Christianity was, was fine with that. Uh, what drew me, what kept me, honestly, what drew me was Matt kept asking me over and over and over again. What kept me was the fact that I uh, started going to this youth group and I met these people who seemed very normal. They did not seem like the caricature of what I had as a Christian in my mind growing up. I was about 16, 17 at the time. And these people just seemed very, very normal. Um, and so that that is kind of what kept me. But uh, there was one fact about these folks that I couldn't get over. So uh, as normal as these people may have been or seemed, they put a whole lot of faith in a book that was written thousands of years ago, and that, uh, that, didn't, that didn't fit in my mind. It didn't fit that, that these seemingly normal people put all of this trust in a book that's thousands of years old. I couldn't reconcile that. And so what I did is I started, I joined a Bible study, and I tried to learn more and more about the Bible with the hope that one day I would gain some knowledge and some insight, and eventually I would be able to help these people see that putting their faith in a book is foolish. And here we are today. Uh, that is no longer my purpose in life, praise Jesus. Uh, it was at one of these Bible studies 
uh, that God in an instant. So I had been attending this church for about eight or 10 months or so, you know, trying to learn more and more about the Bible so that I could help my friends see why they shouldn't put their trust in it. It was at one of these Bible studies where God had been, God used, God, God took all of the head knowledge that I had gained over the past 10 months and in an instant just flooded my heart with it. And all of a sudden, I, I, I wasn't in a place where I fully trusted in God's word at the time, but in that moment, I knew that God was who he said he was, that Jesus was in fact the man, the, the God that the gospels portrayed him to be. I, I did not ask Jesus into my heart that night. More accurately, God invaded my heart with his grace, with his goodness, in his kindness, and he chose to draw me to himself. And I didn't even give him permission to do it. He did it against my will. And now saying that, I am very aware that in a room this size, we have different stories about how the Lord has drawn us to himself. And I know that for some of, some of us, we were searching. We were searching for a relationship with a God that we didn't know. So uh, I don't mean to belittle your story if that's yours, but this, is, this, is, uh, this was the story of how God chose to save me. So if you've got a Bible, we'll go to Psalm 115. It's on page 293 in the Bibles that are in the baskets underneath the rose on the end. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, you are free to take that Bible. That is our gift to you. Uh, we have like 20 cases of them in the back. So it would, it would be great if you didn't own a Bible and you took them and then we could refill them and get more and more people in our city, God's word. So uh, that is our gift to you. And I'm not just saying that it really is free for you. So we're going to look at Psalm 115, uh, just looking at verse three this morning. This is God's word. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Let's pray as we get started. Father, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. I pray that you would teach us, you would guide us, that we would see you more clearly. And Father, that you would draw us more and more into worshiping you in truth. And this is all in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, one of my friends, uh, Jake Blair, he is on staff at our church. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, it was like a Tuesday afternoon, about one o'clock. We needed an afternoon pick-me-up. It was just a lot of meetings in the morning. And, and so we drove over to uh, Drip on Main, which is undeniably the best coffee shop in Columbia. Uh, took a left on Main Street, and right before we got to Drip, there was a car that was pulling out of his parking space. And Jake said to me, Ryan, God is so sovereign. <laughs> I was like, that's true. <laughs> that is true. So we're going to be teaching on that this morning. Uh, so talking about God's sovereignty in the parking spaces that we get and the parking spaces that we don't get. So uh, I want to define sovereignty for us this morning. Sovereignty is God's exercise of power over his creation. God's exercise of power over his creation. God, our king, is free to rule and to reign however he wants. He is free to exercise his power over his creation. I'll give you a sprinkling of verses that show you what I mean. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Every 
random act that occurs, every roll of the dice or every flip of a coin, God is over that moment. God is over that random act. In Isaiah 45, God says that he forms light and creates darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. In Job 42, Job is responding to God. He says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So God being creator of this world has what we would call creator rights. Creator rights. The world belongs to him and he is free to do with it as he chooses. And we know from scriptures that, uh, that God's character is good and perfect. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with the idea of God's holiness. God's character is good and perfect, which means that the ways that he uses his creator rights is for the good of his people. The ways he uses his creator rights is for the good of his people. And the sentence that I just said can be and is often confused. So what I want to do is I'm going to say it again and break it down. The way that God uses or the ways that God uses his creator rights is for the good of his people. Let me be clear about something. When I say good, I do not mean uh, that I get to define what good is based on how happy or sad or anywhere in between that I may be feeling that day. When I say that God's purposes are good, I do not mean that we get to decide and we get to judge God on what is good, what is not good. What I mean is that God in his love and his grace and, and in his holiness uses the things that you and I go through for our good, even the painful things that you and I go through, even the painful things which are done against us. And I also want to clarify God is working out all of these things that happen for the good of those who love him. Romans would say it's for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. So that doesn't mean that God is working his good for all people. So if you're, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm glad that you're here. And I want to be upfront and honest with you from the get-go. I do not believe that God's sovereignty would bring hope to someone who is not trusting in Jesus, for someone who is not putting their hope in Jesus, for someone who is not repenting of their sins and turning their lives and surrendering themselves to Jesus. So what my hope is this morning is if you're not following Jesus, what my hope is that he would be working in your heart in such a way that by the end of our time together today, you, you do love him, that he would cause you to love him. The Ezekiel 36 would say that he, uh, that he would remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, that he would put his spirit in you, that he would capture your heart, that he would convict you of your sin, that he would show you that through his life and his death and ultimately his resurrection, that you can have hope. So up front, that is my goal if you are not a Christian here this morning. I also know that some of you who are Christians uh, as I bring up the idea of God's sovereignty, you already may be feeling some uncomfort, some, uh, some uh, wanting to put up some walls, maybe wanting to feel a little bit 
defensive. So I'd ask that you would hang in there with me because these are some of the things that I want to deal with. The, the reasons why God's sovereignty sometimes causes us to feel defensive. I want us to actually talk about those uh, this morning. I want us to wrestle with some of that. I'm also, lastly, uh, before, we, before we dive in, I am very aware. Today is August 4th. 30 days ago was July 4th. And here we are in Columbia, South Carolina, in the United States of America, exactly one month following our Independence Day. And one month ago, I hope that you were like me, at a lake somewhere, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying a boat, possibly swimming, I hope, grilling out. A month ago, I was having a good old time with friends and family, celebrating the fact that we used to have a king. His name was George. And then we decided that we didn't want to have a king anymore. And so now we watch a guy named Joey eat hot dogs to celebrate the fact that, that the Queen of England has no power over us, that she is not our sovereign. But the reality is this morning that God is still our sovereign. God is still our king. And you and I can't run away and we can't steal some land from native folk to get away from God's kingdom. He will not uh, surrender to us. So I want to give us two categories this morning. What does God's sovereignty mean and what does it not mean? I want to start with what it doesn't mean. So I want to start with what it doesn't mean because I want to clear up some misconceptions that often get in our way. So first, looking at what God's sovereignty doesn't mean. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that God can do absolutely anything outside of his character. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that God can do anything outside of his character, absolutely anything and everything. We've talked about, again, like I said, with the holiness sermon that we've talked about in this series, the Lord is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. He can do all that he pleases, and that comes from his character. So can God sin? Does God sin? The answer is no. God is perfect. That, that is his character. That flows from his holiness. God does all that he pleases, but he can't do something that goes against his character. He doesn't act against his character. So let me be clear about this. God does allow things to happen that do not please him. God does allow things to happen that do not please him. And the flip side of saying that is all that happens does not necessarily please God. But all things happen under God's sovereign reign. Another way to say this, God doesn't have the ability to do something that does not flow from his holiness. And this is an important foundation for us as we move forward. All that happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, God is the one who rules over it. He is the one who reigns. Nothing happens apart from not only him seeing it and being aware of it, but from him being sovereign over it. Secondly, God's sovereignty doesn't mean that God is the author of evil. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that God is the author of evil. There's a, uh, a theologian who uh, doesn't hold to the authority of Scripture, and his argument is if 
the evil actions of evil men have a place in God's plan, if they are foreordained of God, then is man not responsible for them? And is not God the author of evil? What he's saying is, if God sees that evil, if God even creates humans with not only the propensity, but the, the ability to commit evil, then can humans really be responsible? Or is it not all, is it not all God's fault? To each of these questions, the Bible is actually very clear. You and I are responsible for our sin. I am responsible for the evil things that I have done. I am responsible for the evil thoughts that I have. You are responsible for your sin. And no, God is not the author of sin. James 1 even tells us that, that God cannot even be tempted by sin. So God is neither the author of sin, nor can he himself be tempted. And he, he in fact, tempts no one, the scripture goes on to say. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that God is the author of evil. Thirdly, God's sovereignty doesn't mean that I ultimately don't make any decisions. God's sovereignty does not mean that ultimately I don't make any decisions. Another uh, popular misconception that I hear about God's sovereignty is that because he exercises ultimate rule and authority and power over his creation, that basically everyone, all of, all of us humans, those who bear his image, we actually, we're just robots. We don't make any decisions. It's the idea that because, it's the, it's the misconception that because God is sovereign, nothing I do matters. And that's, that's fatalism. That's not Christianity. The biblical portrait of God's exercise of power over his creation includes what, what we might call delegated authority. So, um, example, Paul in Colossians 3, we are commanded, put to death, impurity. Everything that is earthly in you, we're commanded to put to death. Evil desire, passion, sexual immorality. He goes on and on. He tells us anger, malice, slander, obscene talk. All of these things must be put to death. And these are things that we choose to do, that we have to choose to do. And not only are we, do, we, are, do we have to choose that, we're actually commanded to choose to do that. This would also include uh, forgiveness. This would also include forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness is a choice that we have. I have a, a really good friend who probably about five or six years ago, uh, she and I were talking and she had a friend who had, uh, who had harmed her. She had a friend, a Christian sister who had harmed her, not just hurt her, had actually harmed her. And as she was describing all the pain that that other woman had caused in their friendship, she looked at me and she said, Ryan, I know that God has forgiven her. I know that God has forgiven her. But I just can't. I don't feel forgiveness. I'm not ready. I still feel really hurt. And as I was encouraging her to move towards forgiveness, she stopped me and said, but don't you think... Don't you think if God wanted me to forgive her that he'd give, him, he'd give me that feeling? Like, don't you think if God wanted me to forgive this person, I would 
want to forgive her? Couldn't he just change my heart? What she was saying is, I'm not going to do anything until God acts. I'm not going to take a step towards forgiveness until he changes my heart. And what I told her was that she had to make the decision to forgive, that forgiveness more than a feeling is a choice. It's a choice not to hold the the transgression against the person who has harmed you. But she wanted God's sovereignty to be an excuse for her to not have to make a decision. The truth is, God's sovereignty does the opposite. God's sovereignty frees us to be able to make the decision because we know that we are secure in him. And I don't mean that figuratively. I mean that literally, that we are literally secure in God, that we are safe in his hands, that he is big enough and strong enough to hold us. And some of us this morning are unwilling to do the things that God has called us to do. Some of us are unwilling to do them, and what you're doing is you're waiting on God to do something that he's actually delegated to you. He's given you responsibility for. We can't neglect our agency, the power and influence that God has over us, either in ourself, maybe in dealing with uh, self-control, potentially to our neighbor. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that you and I don't ultimately make decisions. Fourthly, God's sovereignty doesn't mean that I don't have responsibility. One of the common objections uh, to the idea of, of God's sovereignty deals with dealing with prayer. Well, if God is sovereign, why do I have to pray? I mean, if God's decided everything, why do I have to pray? And sometimes I'm feeling snarky. And so I answer in a snarky tone. And I would say, well, if God is sovereign, why would you, if God isn't sovereign, why would you pray? But that's not usually helpful. <laughs> or so it has, it has been explained to me. Um, what God's sovereignty means is that our prayers have power. Because God is the one who has all power. God's sovereignty means that God has power. So look at Genesis 1, 27 through 28. It's going to come up on the screen. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you see what God is doing even from the very beginning? This is page one, right? This is page one of our Bibles. From the very beginning, God is delegating his authority. You are not a robot. You have dominion. You have true agency, and that agency flows from the king who gives you that agency. You have real responsibility that God has given you. It's delegated authority that you have to rule over your domain. God's sovereignty does not negate your prayers. God's sovereignty 
means that he chooses to use your prayers in his plan of redemption. And so before we move on, I want to I make sure that we get this, that what you do matters, the choices that you make matter, the things that you do, the choices that you make, they all work in conjunction with God's ultimate sovereignty over his world. And I'll give you one very specific way that the Bible says the things you do matter. They matter for your neighbor. They matter for your neighbor. So Romans 10, 13 through 15, also on the screen behind me. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of, who, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, God in his sovereignty has decided that you have friends, you have neighbors, you have coworkers, and you have classmates who are going to love him. They are going to love him. They are going to worship him. They are going to give their lives away for his glory. And God, in his sovereignty, has decided that he is going to change their hearts. And the vehicle in which he is going to use to get into their lives is you. Being a Christian who pursues them who invites them in, who tells them about what it took for God to save you. And that's what he's going to use to save them. You telling your story about how God has saved you. You and I are not the ones who decide who says yes to Jesus' call, but you and I are the ones that God is going to use to draw people to himself. You, broken, busted, you, insecure, lonely, sinful, you. Not the you that you want to be. Not the you that you pretend to be. The real you that God has redeemed, that God has made new, you are going to be used by your heavenly Father for his purposes of redemption. And you get to plant seeds and you get to water seeds and, his, and God in his grace and in his kindness and in his love is going to make some of them grow. And he's going to use you to do that. So I want to close this morning with what sovereignty does mean. We've looked at what it doesn't mean. I want to close on the positive side of it. God's sovereignty means I cannot thwart his will by making a wrong decision. God's sovereignty means you cannot thwart his will by making a wrong decision. Hear this from Isaiah 46. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. 
and I will accomplish my purpose. Christian, I want to free you from decision paralysis. I think God's sovereignty frees us from decision paralysis. Some of us have been stuck for years because we're so afraid that if we take a step forward, we're going to mess something else up. There's not one plan of God, not one of his purposes that you can thwart. You're not big enough. (laughs) Regardless of what the decision may be, whatever you're dealing with is not going to thwart God's plan. And some of you need to repent today of trying to out-sovereign God. You've been trying to control things, make things just perfect. And I think what some, sometimes when we, do that, when we do this, what we're doing, we're, we're trying to make it, we're, we're trying to hedge our bets a little bit. So uh, trying to protect ourselves from if God's plan for us isn't exactly what I want, I still get some happiness, what I call happiness. Some of you need to repent of trying to out-sovereign God. I also want to be clear what I'm not saying. I want to be clear what I'm not saying. I'm, I'm not saying that if you do nothing, God will make everything happen for you as if you did everything. Galatians 6, 9 uh, encourages us not to grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This law of reaping and sowing, this is what God in his sovereignty is a law that he has created, something that God, uh, it was his idea. If you disobey God, there are consequences. If you choose, college student, to skip all of your classes next semester, you're not going to be on the dean's list. If you stop showing up for work for weeks without telling anybody, you can't show back up to work. Lastly, God's sovereignty means that you can have hope no matter the circumstance. God being a sovereign God means that no matter the circumstance, you can have hope. So I know know a lot of you in the room. I don't know all of you, but I know a lot of you. But I don't intimately know everyone's deepest pains. I don't intimately know uh, the doubts that keep you up at night. I don't know the fears that you have. But I do know that there is a king who is in control. I do know that there is a king who is sovereign. And that means that sometimes you may not get your way in life. There are going to be days where you receive a phone call. It's going to change your life forever. Those days will come. But what God's sovereignty means is that he's never surprised by a tragedy. God is never surprised by a tragedy. Either a personal tragedy, a global tragedy, and anywhere in between. What that means is that when you are surprised by tragedy, God is safe to go to. He is Sure. He will not fail. 
You can go to the one who is omniscient, who is omnipresent, and who is sovereign. And I, I know I said this earlier, but if you're not a Christian in the room, I have nothing to offer you beyond Jesus. I have nothing to offer you beyond Jesus. The fact that the God who is sovereign over this world is the same God who humbled himself, left heaven, became a baby, grew up, lived a perfect, sinless life, was hung on a cross where he died and was buried. And then three days later, that God rose again, proving that he's even sovereign over death. And today he is offering himself to you. He is offering himself to you that if you trust him, then that shows that the sins that he paid for include yours. And you don't have to live under the, his wrath. You don't have to live under the judgment that your sin requires. And if you're a Christian here today, this is the hope that we have. This is what we come here to celebrate. That for those who love him, that we have been called, not according to our purpose, but according to his purpose, And what that means is that all things will work out for our good. All of our joys, all of our sorrows, all of our anxieties, all of our pain, all of our victories, they all work out for you. The chaos in your life will not define you. Christ's victory over death is what defines you. And this is our hope. That if, if you're a Christian, all of these things will work for you. The fact that God is omnipresent, that he is omniscient, that he is holy. The fact that he is sovereign means that there is a day coming, Christian, where you will be able to look back and you'll be able to say, I get it. I had no idea what you were doing at the time. And God, I had no idea that you were even still with me. But at the end of the day, you'll be able to see, I get it. That this is the life that I would have asked for if I know, if I knew all that you know. And this is what resting in God's sovereignty means today, that when you trust him, when you walk in faith, there's a day coming where you'll be able to look back and see that all of his ways are perfect. And he's been right all along. You'll see fully how much he is for you and how much he loves you. So pray with me. Father, as we, as we consider your sovereignty, Lord, we, uh, we pray that you'd help us to see clearly. Father, as we consider the way that you uh, rule and reign over our world and over us. Father, we pray that you would give us clarity. Father, you would give us the hope that you offer, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be the people who worship you in spirit and in truth as you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.